0: This year, Focus on the Family Canada celebrates 40 years of ministry. Since 1983, we've aired more than 100 million minutes of radio programming in Canada. Our website has welcomed over 11 million visitors. We've prayed for a million people and answered more than 70,000 counselling calls. We aim to help families like yours thrive on the foundation of Jesus Christ. To join us in celebrating, visit focusonthefamily.ca forward slash four zero.
1: Parents, one of the things that parents must do when they suspect that their child or their loved one is involved in some suspicious activity, drugs or whatever it is, that they know it's not right. is not to be so naive, uninformed. You know, these are the traits. These are the circumstances. These are the consequences of this lifestyle. So if your son and your daughter is acting kind of funny, suddenly there's a lot of money or no money or constantly asking for money, uh, something is wrong.
0: Victor Torres shares his insights with us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly, and I'm John
2: Fuller. We live in a culture of self-medicating. It's all over the place. I think my self-medication is maybe a little snack or two I shouldn't have. And uh, whether it's innocuous, like retail therapy, uh, I think people understand what that means. Or treating yourself with sweets, as I have. To escape life struggles, uh, there are more dangerous substances like drugs and alcohol since one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine nearly one million people have died from a drug overdose, and that number continues to rise every year we 've got the fentanyl problem coming over the southern border, lots of stuff. Going on in this category of addiction. More than 20 million people in the US are diagnosed with what is called SUD, substance use disorder, every year. But only 10.3% receive help. And that's too bad. Today, we want to talk about that issue, especially from a Christian perspective, with a wonderful guest who has spent his life helping people after his own brokenness. Victor Torres is going to share that dramatic story, then identify some signs uh, of substance abuse for those around you, your loved ones, your family members, and maybe yourself, and then offer some first steps toward hope and healing. Yeah, and Victor is the founding pastor of New Life
0: Outreach Church in Richmond, Virginia. He and his late wife Carmen founded a residential treatment program called New Life for Adults and Youth. He has four children, 11 grandchildren, and as he says, more spiritual children than he can count. He's captured his inspiring story and some solid practical guidance in his book, Reaching Your Addicted Loved One, Help and Hope for Those Battling Substance Abuse. You'll find details about the book and other resources at
2: focusonthefamily.ca. Victor, welcome to Focus on the Family. So good to have you here.
1: Jim, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's my, my blessing to be here.
2: Yeah, and we're gonna cover your story. I love covering a person's story because uh, the scripture says that they overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. Amen. And this is it, man, this is your testimony. Uh, with your ministry and treatment program, you're working with people trapped in addiction. We talked about the scope of that a moment ago, how many people uh, that are trapped every year and the ongoing entrapment that they experience. What is a common thing that you hear from these addicted folks as they're working through their recovery?
1: Well, I think the most common thing that uh, we hear is, I've been through so much. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Mm. I don't know if this this time is going to help me or not because they it's a constant repeat of... Uh, Uh, making efforts but not really surrendering. Yeah. And, you know, that is the the key word. You
2: know, people that may not have addictive personality, if we could put it in that context, you know, something that's compulsive, uh, describe that for them, where it's such a pull that people cannot or struggle— to not do that behavior if it's drugs or alcoholism because there's a dopamine hit, there's brain science in this that gives them such a good feeling that they wanna keep coming back to that.
1: Yeah, I think that generally, you know, you don't really think that this thing is going to control your life. And the the control factor Mm. then becomes a reality but, in the beginning, you know, when they start experimenting with drugs it's it's all you know getting high it's pleasure uh, there's nothing to this you know i 'm just having a good time
2: I can control it, I
1: can control it, I can stop whenever I want to, but then the deeper they get, then they start to realize that they are dependent, they can't sleep, they can't function normally. And that's when the desperation level kicks in. And and suddenly they start realizing, wow, I'm hooked.
2: Yeah, can't get away from it. Then they're in trouble. Let's go to your story a bit. Uh, You grew up in the streets of New York. Describe that. Again, a lot of people have not had that experience. New York's a tough place, typically.
1: It still is. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in one of the worst uh, neighborhoods in, in New York, a place called Brownsville. Mm. And it's very uh, interesting that uh, that area there was always always known for mafia activity. Uh, so they, there was a spirit already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my parents, you know, they, they were trying their best to bring me up right.
2: Uh, you said they're hardworking. Both your mom and dad worked. They were. And you guys you yeah. know, generally had a... A yeah, my father was a
1: hard, working man. Yeah. You know, he held two jobs. Wow! All the time that he was in New York, he he had uh, he was a rent collector. He mm. during the daytime, during the night, he was a foreman in a factory. Yeah. Um, and my mother worked during the day, which was great. You know that they were employed, but but the children were growing up by themselves.
2: Yeah. Where are you in that birth order? Are you number one or the last? Uh, I'm number one. Okay. So there's responsibility with that. Describe again what that environment's like, what you're getting into, how old are you, and how did you fall into the drug addiction that caught a hold of you?
1: Yeah, because of the environment, uh, you know, I I was already in school. But I had to fight my way into school, fight my way out of school every day. The environment was so rough. It was so tough. I was already running around with the wrong kids. And at the age of 12, I started carrying a a knife with me because I felt like I needed protection. Sure. And one day, I I just didn't think twice. I pulled out the knife. I got into a struggle with, with a guy that was a bully and pulled out the knife, and I stabbed him in the armpit. Several times, and I had never felt blood in my hands like that. And I started running. Can you imagine, you know, 12 year old child? Yeah. And, and I'm scared. I'm, I'm frightened. I, I don't know what to do. So I'm running home thinking that my parents can hide me. And, uh, my father was not home. At that point, my mother happened to be at home. She put me underneath the bed, but I was always long of legs. And when the cops came, they they saw my legs sticking out from the bed, and they pulled me out.
2: So they did come.
1: They did come, and they got me, and I went to juvenile court at the age of 12. I started a path that took me a long, long ways. And it was a terrible experience for me. But then there was no stopping, because now at the age of 14, I'm using drugs. I'm using heroin at the age of 14. I'm carrying a gun. I'm, I'm part of this notorious gang in New York City. And at the same time, I'm shooting up heroin. Wow.
2: How long did that last? How many years? Eight years. So you were in that environment for eight years. For eight years. How did God ever reach into your dark world and grab you by the collar?
1: Well, you know, I always tell people God didn't live in our home uh, because uh, neither my father or my mother went to church. And so, you know, God just didn't exist in our home. But my mother, you know, came to a point of desperation. She was trying to seek help different places. Uh, Nothing was working. And one day a friend of hers invited her to a, a small a storefront church and she started going there and she found help there she found support she found friends and she found faith and so she started bringing jesus to the house and you know i didn't want to hear it
2: how old were you at that point
1: at that point i was uh 17 okay yeah Sixteen, wow. seventeen. So you were. I was at the at the prime of gang life.
2: Yeah. Right, and you were telling your mom you didn't want to listen to that. And that's no, a I didn't of want to.
1: You know, I would come home under the influence because I shot up two, or three times a day. Wow. So I would come home under the influence. I, I, I was a zombie, and uh, my mother would talk to me. I didn't want to listen to her and I thought she was nuts. I thought she was crazy. Mom, this will never work for me. I don't want nothing to do with religion or God, uh, any of your stuff. Just Mm. leave me alone.
2: Before you get to that part, and I want to hear that part where the Lord intervened, you mentioned in your book, uh, Reaching Your Addicted Loved One. You said that when a family member becomes addicted, the entire family becomes addicted. I know many— Families listening and watching uh, are going to connect with that. I guess define that for us, and then what do we do?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a fact. Uh, you know, family then begin to feel the impact because it's an environment, it's a culture in the home. People
2: have to respond to you. They have to respond.
1: They have to talk with you. It's arguments every day, confrontations. My father was a good man, hardworking man, but he hated to see me in that condition. You have to see it vividly to understand that here's here's your son and he, he's totally under the influence of this drug. He, he's not normal, you don't respond normally. You come in three, four o'clock in the morning, you sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, you know, th- there is no communication, so there's a lot of frustration. After a while, that spirit you know catches on to yeah. the family, and then especially if somebody like my mom who took it upon herself, my father gave up. My father said there is no hope for you. You know, no. put him away. You know, I don't. I don't want to see him this way anymore. My mother continued to pray and to bring people home. You know, f- friends from the church, and I hated that. Uh, but she she never gave up,
2: and she did that to have you interact with them, or for them to meet you, yeah, or just
1: yeah. She would introduce me <laughs> to these, uh, you know, especially to a pastor, you know. And I didn't want nothing to. There was there was no common, uh, there was nothing in common there. So I would just walk out of the house. But she she was you know I always say she was the real gangster. <laughs> <laughs> she,
2: she, she, a gangster. she
1: was a jesus gangster oh, she man. determined that she was going to find a solution
2: yeah and victor we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in just a moment but i think you know one of the concerns i have is the desperation that many parents feel in that moment with their 13 year old their 18 year old their 25 year old whatever it might be and what to do what is effective and it sounded like your mom just handled that in the best of ways that she quietly prayed for you and brought people by the house that could have an impact on you i'm sure she was praying for that but speak to that parent that's in the kind of the beginning stages of this their son or daughter is addicted Uh, They might be doing other behaviors that are addictive, maybe cutting or things like that. Yeah,
1: and, you know, they're stealing. Yeah. Uh, They steal everything that, you know, they can uh, take away. They go into your purses, uh, you know, sell jewelry. uh,
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think most counselors would say you got to kind of draw the line and and you got to apply tough love. You
1: do. You do. You do. You know, I think the, the main thing is for a parent not to give up. I always say you've got to have, you know, a, a, a determining uh, heart that you're not going to give up, a die hard
2: heart. Did you and your dad ever talk about that, the fact that you felt like he had given up when your mom had Yeah,
1: Yeah, because we even got into ruffles, we, you know, the argument. And, and what I tell parents is don't, don't get mad at your child. Your loved one don't it's not their fault, you know, sure, you know they made the decision, but the one that they need to get mad at it's the drug uh. it's the environment, and of course, you learn a lot, you think a lot you know, you go through changes. Where did I go wrong? You know, what could I have done that would have been different? And this is where parents get frustrated. And, you know, and and it can be a long journey. But I always encourage parents and loved ones, don't give up because, you know, God is the God of all hope. There is hope. And as long as there's, there's life there is hope Mm. and so you know my mother captured that she was a simple lady uh just simple but hard work working lady and loved her family Mm. and um you know she would tell me son i don't care you know like you know i would get busted i would go to jail and she would still be there
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
1: Financial Moments with Tom Copeland.
3: Bill and Sue needed to replace their automobile. Unfortunately, like most people, Bill and Sue did not pray and ask God to provide. Rather, they borrowed the money and bought a new car. Unknown to Bill and Sue, someone at their church who was aware of their tight financial situation had planned to give them his good used car. However, because they acted without consulting the Lord, Bill and Sue missed God's blessing. Everyone should follow what Josephat instructs us to do. First, seek the counsel of the Lord, 1 Kings 22, 5. And in Matthew six thirty-one to 33, God promised to meet our needs as we put him first. Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In summary, before making any important financial decision, the wise Christian prayerfully seeks God's direction and waits for God's timing. Psalms 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. To learn more, check out copelandfinancialministries.org.
0: Make your strong marriage even stronger with focus on the Family Canada's new marriage enrichment conferences and retreats. Based on the proven, biblically-based principles that come directly out of the Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Counseling Program, these principles provide couples with practical tools to create a more vibrant, intimate, and loving marriage. For registration details, call 1-833-2ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. That's 1-833-2ENRICH or visit enrichyourmarriage.ca. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of
2: today's programming. Victor, uh, again, I love that aspect of your mom and her love for you. And I can understand your dad's frustration. A lot of parents live in that place. So this is going on. You're 17, 18. Where does God actually begin to intersect with you? And you start, you know, kind of the scratching of the head. Maybe mom's right about something here. How did that unfold for you?
1: Well, you know, because every day that I would come home, she would always take a minute or two to tell me that she's believing God to change my life that I w- that I will change and and you know she was looking for resources mm-hmm. and then she heard about this man that was already coming to the neighborhood he was he was already preaching in the streets there were there were other people that were preaching on the streets but this this particular one his name was David Wilkerson.
2: Yeah, David Wilkerson. Yeah.
1: And so she met him <laughs> and she talked to him and she realized that there was hope because he had opened up a home practically in in the neighborhood. Mm. You know, just maybe 5 miles away from where we were. And he opened up this home to help guys like me. And wow. uh, And so she started telling me uh, about this place, but never mentioned that it was a religious place, a Christian place. And, uh, you know, and I would think about it, I, I had already been to Metropolitan Hospital in New York about 10 times, withdrawing from drugs, I was one of the first addicts to go into the methadone program, huh. uh, this was supposed to be the great cure, the great substitute for heroin, and it was only changing a dollar into four quarters. You know, you came out of the hospital, you was not hooked on heroin, but now you was hooked on methadone, which is big today. Yeah, there are a lot of people that surviving. Uh, by taking methadone. Mm. But they are totally controlled by the same effect as heroin.
2: Wow, that's too bad. Yeah. If we suspect that we have a loved one, a family member that may be addicted, what would be the red flags we should look for?
1: Well, behavior, uh, behavior patterns, uh, you know, conduct, uh, coming in late hours in the night, not talking the way. You talk, your grades, yeah. uh, if they're in school. Who are you talking to on the telephone? A lot of secrecy. Yeah. Uh, constantly asking for money. You know, those are some of the things that that begin to show up they surface
2: kind of a yeah mood change behavioral exactly. changes that exactly, kind of thing yeah. what are some of those other do's and don'ts when you have the suspicion with you, you, let's just speak to your children keep it in that context but it could be a nephew a niece a uncle a aunt who knows yeah. somebody in your family sure
1: confrontation with no love confrontation with no is love. is a don't yeah, you do not do that. One of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to run them off, you know. But at the same time, you don't want to compromise. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, I I call it uh, you know, true love, mm-hmm. truth love. Just tell the truth with love. Mm-hmm. You know what you're thinking. You know that you know that you suspect something. Well, say it, but say it with love, not anger, you know, not uh, in a confrontation kind of way, because that can run them off forever.
2: Let me go back, because I really want to make sure people listening uh, hear the Lord intervening in your life. I just want to make that really clear. Do you remember what was happening? And, uh, you know, David Wilkerson certainly took you to the home, but where did God say all right, Victor, you're mine. And you said, Okay, Lord, I believe.
1: Well, that's when I, I finally entered the home and I went under the influence uh, of drugs. I was high. And so that day for me to be there was a piece of cake. But the night, that night, there were no bars. You was there voluntarily. All this time I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know that these people are going to help me. There were no doctors, no nurses. This was like Bible, prayer, you know, counseling, that kind of thing. You know, sit down and we pray for you and talk to you. And I just didn't know how this was going to work. But that night, that first night, I got so sick, I needed a fix, and I couldn't sleep. And all this time, I I didn't understand why am I, you know, why am I staying here? Uh And uh, uh, on the third day, I decided to leave. I couldn't take it anymore. But just before I made that final decision— Another guy came up to me and said, Victor, you got to give this a chance. You've given so many things a chance. Give this a chance. And it's almost like I heard my mother praying for me. And I walked back into the building. I was by myself then, and I walked inside of a small place they call the chapel. And I walked in there, and I just threw myself on the floor on my knees, and I just started to talk to God. Uh, if there was a God, I said, if, you, if it's true that you can change my life, that you can give me a new mind, I said, please, God, you know, I do want to change. I don't want to die as a drug addict. And it was almost like I was hearing my mother, you know, her prayers and mm-hmm. and others that were now in the home that were speaking to me. Well, the more I I prayed, the more I began to sense something happening in my heart. And that's when I broke, and I asked God to forgive me. Please forgive me. Do something with me. And Mm. I just totally broke, and I felt—I didn't feel the floor, you know, slip from under me or or lightning or anything like that, but I felt something in my spirit, in my heart, that something had happened to me in that moment. I had an encounter with Jesus, and I stood up to my feet, and I was so happy and so excited, you know, and from that moment on, my life was changed. Never went back to drugs, never dipped, had no desire to go back. I embraced Christ into my life, and then went off to college and ended up in the ministry.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's an amazing story. And your mother— whatever happened with that conversation after that, you and your mom, did you have an incredible embrace and your mom wept? I, would I, I, I gotta tell
1: you, I gotta tell you this because, you know, they would give you a pass. And so after the first three months, they gave me a pass to go home for the first time. I had not seen my mother in three months. Wow. wow. So, and it was mother's day mm. and I went home and, um, uh, And I remember, you know, being there with her and I told her, I said, Mom, I don't have a card for you because I didn't have any money. I I, I don't have a present for you, but I just want you to know that I love you. That was was a divine moment. Mm. You know, my mom just started weeping, you know, but for a a good cry.
2: You were the present.
1: Yeah, that's what (laughs) she said. You are the greatest gift that I could ever receive on Mother's Day. And she was so happy, and today she's in heaven, but she saw, she got to see the results of her prayer. You know, both uh, my father, because my father came to the Lord after that, he didn't trust me for about almost a year after I was, uh, you know, converted. Uh, He still looked at my eyes suspiciously, but, you know, show me, you know, love and all this, but I knew he didn't trust me. And one day he went to church with my mom. He gave his life to Christ, and he became a great, great man for God. Wow!
2: What a, what an incredible story! Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they felt in those early years such hopelessness, watching your life—you shooting up heroin, gang banging around New York, and people dying around you—that had to be desperate. And for also
1: them. uh knowing the knowledge of some of my friends yeah. overdosing, dying. Yeah. You know, I, I say 99% of my friends died terrible deaths. They died on the street. They overdosed. They died in prison. You know, so they knew this. Yeah. And, you know, they lived like walking on eggshells every day that somebody was going to come to the door, a policeman, someone was going to come and give them bad news. Yeah. But now... You know, they see the change. And and it's really interesting that after my conversion and I went off, off to school, my dad was promoted. You know, he started saving money like never before. He always wanted his own house, and he was able to buy it. And, you know, I mean, God just began to bless them. Yeah. You know, Jesus came to dwell in our home.
2: Yeah. And it's such a beautiful story. You know, people are listening right now, watching YouTube. Uh, hopefully someone might be passing this message along to somebody who's really hurting. And I think the bottom line, what I'm hearing from you, is go to Jesus. Yeah, That's the place to go.
1: Yeah. And, you know, find help. Yeah. You know, that's one of the first things that God put in my heart was to open up a home for guys like me yeah. and women, both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And if you're in that spot, I want you to call us. I mean, right here at Focus on the Family, we have caring Christian counselors who can help you. We have referral lists that can point you in the right direction uh, to a counselor in your area. Uh, We are a mound of help, and you just have to make that phone call or get in touch with us. And we want to reach out and help you, believe me. So reach out to us, and we will wrap around you. That's what I want you to hear. Hmm. Yeah, we really are here to help in any way we can. And,
0: uh, of course, we have Victor's great book, Reaching Your Addicted Loved One. Uh, Order that directly from Focus on the Family Canada, knowing that when you do, the proceeds go right back into ministry to families right across Canada. You can set up that consultation with the counselor and donate and get Victor's book when you call 800-the-letter-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. 800-232-6459 or stop by focusonthefamily.ca On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.